0: All right, Nico, can you say welcome to another episode of Healthy Births Happy Babies? It's a happy episode. Um, Happy Babies. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of Healthy Births Happy Babies. I'm Dr. Jay Warren. I'm the prenatal and pediatric chiropractor here at the Capuana Center. And this podcast is all about helping you have a proactively healthy pregnancy so you can have a safe, gentle, natural birth. And that's gonna allow you to bring your baby into the world that much more gently and healthily so you can start off your family experience more powerfully than if it's full of stress and trauma and other health concerns. So... If you are a fan of this show and you haven't yet subscribed, please do so. Wherever you listen to your podcast, go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an upcoming episode. And also, if you haven't rated or reviewed the podcast and you've enjoyed it and gotten value of it, that will really help me out because that will allow this podcast to reach more and more parents like yourself that might be missing out on this type of information and helping them along their parenting journey. So thank you in advance for that, and thank you if you already have rated and reviewed. On today's episode, I am so happy to bring you Amy Morin. She is a licensed clinical social worker and a psychotherapist and also the author of 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do. And I love talking with authors on this podcast um, whose books have made a big impact on my life that uh, either professionally or personally have made a huge difference. And this book, her book, is absolutely one of them. Uh, I picked it up a little while ago after hearing her on another podcast. And I've learned so much. I reached out to her and she graciously agreed to be here so she can share her wisdom and the wisdom of this book. To you as parents, um, because the themes that she goes through in this book are all about how to empower our kids to be more resilient, to be... Uh, have a healthy self-esteem, to be have self-control, self-discipline, and all these emotional skills that we as parents, at least me as a parent, want to give our kids so they can go out in the world and just make big, big impacts and know that they're safe and secure and they're going to be able to handle what comes their way. Because as parents, we want to shelter them from that, but that's just not realistic. And so the more we can teach them before they go out into the world, um, without us, um, by their sides, um, the better they're going to be able to do. And I know you as a listener, if you're listening to this, you want that as well for your kiddo. And Amy's going to be able to share a lot of that information today. So before I jump into our interview, let me give you some background on her, introduce you, uh, to her, and then we can get to that. So Amy Morin is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, and an instructor at Northeastern University. She's a columnist for Forbes, Inc., and Psychology Today, and she's also a therapeutic foster parent. In 2013, her article, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, became a viral sensation when it was read over 50 million times. Her TEDx talk, The Secret to Being Mentally Strong, has been seen over 5 million times. And now, her follow-up book, The 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, she focuses on teaching parents on how to raise mentally strong and resilient children in an ever-changing world. She's been featured on major media outlets including Parenting, Time, Fox News, CNN, and Oprah.com, and I'm so happy to have her on the Healthy Births Happy Babies podcast. So let me switch now over to my conversation with Amy Moran. All right, Amy, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation with you because I know I'm going to learn so much as a parent. And it was as a parent that I first found out about you. And I'm just happy that one you've read this book, or you wrote this book, I'm learning so much from it, and I know my listeners will be able to as well. Um, it was actually through James Altucher's uh, podcast episode an interview you did with him that I first learned about it. And then your TED Talk, your TED talk been, TEDx talk been seen over on Five million times. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, and I remember the morning I was uh, going into James's uh, podcast and looked at the title of your interview, which is uh, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, which is your original. And I think it was that first morning I was coming off from like a bad preschool drop off or, you know, my son was like battling with the puppy or something and I was feeling not mentally strong (laughs) coming out of it. And I remember as I was pressing uh, to play, I was wondering, I was thinking, all right, how am I going to apply this as a parent? And then I don't know if it was at the very beginning of your interview or it was towards the end where you said that you'd written this book that we're going to talk about, about 13 Things Mentally Strong parents don't do so i we can go instead of extrapolating we can jump right into that
1: Okay, sounds good.
0: Good. So, you know, is some of your backstory, I mean, you're a psychotherapist, um, and you're dealing with parents and people dealing with stresses and really resiliency, um, or trying to have a person be more resilient. And you also came through a lot of tragedy. Uh, Within a couple of years, you lost your mom suddenly, and then your husband suddenly, and it was really that experience that you were able to assimilate a lot of this, Um, the 13 Things Mentally Strong people don't do. And then now you've written this about parents. How did you get the segue of writing that first book about just in general for mentally strong people and then coming into the parenthood world?
1: Well, when I wrote my first book, it I had written an article that went viral, 50 million people read the article, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And what most people didn't know when they read the article was that that was a letter to myself. And I sort of only published it online on a whim, thinking this is helpful to me, maybe it would be helpful to somebody else. And then that led to the first book. And then when readers of my first book, I just kept getting the same question over and over again, where people kept saying, this is great. How do I teach my children how to be mentally strong. Yes. And so then I knew okay, I need to I need to figure that out. How do I make this shift for kids? And I could have written a kids book about mental strength, but I knew that that probably wouldn't be the most effective way to do it. Kids could read something and then how do they apply it? Will they need a, a parent to be involved and say, "Okay, this is one of those teachable moments or how can I coach you right now?" So, I wanted to write a book that would help parents become a mental strength coach. And fortunately, my publisher was on board from the beginning and we said, let's write mm-hmm. this book about what mentally strong parents don't do so that we can teach parents skills for themselves uh, about you know, what do you do when you're having a, a rough day or when your child's misbehaving or how can you stay mentally strong when you're going through tough times? And then how can you specifically teach those skills to kids? What are the exercises that will work for a child, whether you have a 4 year old or a 14 year old, I wanted to make sure that I gave parents really tangible exercises so that they could say, okay, let's, let's flip to page 72. And let's try that one Mm -hmm. exercise right now and and see how it works. Because uh, I was finding so many parents in my therapy office, too, who would say, well, I don't know how to teach my child about feelings, because nobody taught me. Or I really want my child to learn how to control his temper, but I don't know how to teach him. I don't know how I do it myself. I can't really put it into words. So I wanted to take all those things that I'd learned in my therapy office and working with parents and figure out how do I put it into a a book that will give parents sort of this step-by-step guide
0: right, and you've uh, you've done an excellent job of that i might I will say in that like I am the father of a preschooler, and in each of the chapters in each of the um thirteen things, you have a section about how to teach a preschooler and then you have a school age kid and then also examples for teenagers, so I personally am so happy of finding this book because I can read it and help my preschooler, but then I know it is going to be something that, as my kiddo grows up and we evolve as a family, I'll be able to use those tools as well so it isn't just uh um, you have great stories um along the lines as well to make it really applicable to or just put ourselves in a moment of how did those parents handle it and then what might i do for my child um so it isn't just a you know ideas book there's a lot of practicality that i'm sure is uh, came from your 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 practice working with parents
1: Yeah, I did. A lot of it was exactly what the questions parents would come in with into my therapy office or the problems they were dealing with. And then I became a foster parent and it was interesting to me too, to make that shift of just talking and problem solving with other parents to then employing it in my own life as a foster parent and knowing it and doing it are two very different things. So I, I knew that too, um, you know, for me, the mistakes I made and the problems I experienced, and even though I knew I had the head knowledge, but to physically do it or to, um, manage it when, when you're in the midst of it, it's harder to, to see the problem clearly, as opposed to when you're talking to somebody else about it. So that really taught me a lot about, okay, if, you, if I'm dealing with this in my own life, probably other parents are too. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we all are. We're all in the trenches there. <laughs> and I love the examples you or the the concept you use about like building, you know, m- mental muscle. You know, one in the kids, but then also in us. And it it just allow gives us kind of a softness, or can bring that to ourselves as okay, like we're getting better, we're getting stronger. I didn't do this morning perfect, but at least outside of the morning, in the same day, I can reflect and do things better, um, possibly the next time, rather than it being something, well, screw the first kid up. Like, hopefully I'll do better on the second one (laughs) and have (laughs) more in the trenches knowledge.
1: Yeah. And that, you know, we all possess mental strengths to a degree, and we certainly all have room for improvement. And just like you could, Keep working out your physical muscles by going to the gym. You can do the same when it comes to mental strength. You can keep working and working. And we all have bad days, bad weeks, even bad years. And that's okay. But it doesn't mean that you you have to give up altogether. You can just keep growing from there. And it's all about the choices that you make every day and the good habits that you have, as well as giving up those bad habits that keep you stuck.
0: Right. And your checklist that you have in each chapter, I found really helpful And that you, ha- you, once you're introducing one of the things, uh, you'll have a checklist like you as a person, do you do these things? Yes or no? And then as a parent to your child, do you do those things? And I, I found those really, really helpful.
1: Good. I find a lot of people will say, well, you know, I'm not a perfectionist in my personal life, but I am in my professional life. Or when it comes to um, most areas in my life i don 't feel guilty, but as a parent, I feel guilty all the time. Mm. so I just wanted to help people identify okay what are, where what are the areas in your life where do you do some of these things because Often parents will say, well, no, that one's not a problem for me. But then when we really go through it, they say, oh, yeah, I do some of those things. <laughs> and and so I was hoping that that would be enlightening to people just to recognize some of the habits or things that we just get so used to sometimes that we don't even realize that we're doing them.
0: Right. Well, I find it's funny that you bring up the, the perfection one because in that chapter, I checked off all of the ones in my personal and business life. That's definitely something <laughs> I've been challenged with, like being perfect all the time. But interestingly, like and thankfully, I guess, I don't do that. That with my son much and I don't know if it's because that weight that I've been worn as far as um, like always striving for perfection and beating myself up I'm not wanting to do that for my kid um, but I found that I found that interesting that I don't do that as a parent
1: Yeah, that is because I find other parents who are the other way around where they (laughs) say, you know, I can, I can let my house be messy. I can, you know, not get a report done on time and I'm okay with that. But if my kid were to miss his homework assignment, I would freak out because I want him to do better than I did. Or I want him to, to, uh, achieve things that I, that I wasn't able to achieve. And I think, um, I, don't, I just always find that interesting when parents find that in their parenting life, they're one way, but in their other life, yeah. the other way. And we all do that in different domains. But I was hoping that that would my checklist would just help raise some awareness about that.
0: Yeah, I know it did for me. Do you find that like with the the differences in our own lives versus our parenting lives coming from kind of like projecting onto our kids, like what... Either we feel we wanted to be, and we want our kids to do, or we know how we turned out, so we're struggling so hard to not have it, and it's and we're kind of blind to that.
1: Yeah, it's it exactly. So for the way that we grew up really impacted us and our core beliefs, and so even the people who say I'm going to be nothing like my parents end up creating something that sometimes is more like their parents than they and they want to admit. Or um, for people who say, you know, I could have been whether it's an NFL player or I could have been a uh, a, a doctor but i didn't wasn't given the opportunity that sometimes they live vicariously through their kids mm. and interestingly, the research will show that doing that is actually quite healing for the parents however Living we vicariously know it's also does. Yeah, it gives it gives parents sort of this second chance in life to say, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm Mm going to do it well and I'm going to support my child. But on the flip side, we know that that same thing is really detrimental to the kids. Mm -hmm. And but it's hard for parents to realize that sometimes whether you have a dad who's pushing their kids into sports or you have a a mom who's really pushing their kids in school because they didn't she didn't have a chance to go to college for her or that dad that can be really helpful. It's like, okay, I'm finally making things right again. But for the kids, have, being pushed like that or having a parent who is making you do something you don't want to do can cause lots of psychological problems later in life.
0: Right. And, and so you're saying like in a blind sense, like just do like parenting opposite the way that you were raised is it, it can have a lot of detriment because, again, it's blind.
1: Right, right. Okay. And for parents who don't realize that just because you do the opposite doesn't make it better if you had a I work with a lot of parents who will say, "Well, my parents yelled all the time, so I'm never going to raise my voice to my kids, but then they become overly permissive and right. instead of taking control of the situation, so I, I run into that a lot where people say, if my parents didn't raise me in a way that I want to raise my kids, so I'll do the opposite, but there's usually a whole spectrum in between one end or the other, and you don't have to go to the other extreme to necessarily be a good parent.
0: Right. And that segues well into what I wanted to talk about as far as like power struggles. I mean, I've seen generationally, I think a generation ago and me being part of it was raised more strict, more my way or the highway. And we came out of that experience now as parents sometimes want to do the opposite, exactly as you said, being more permissive. And then what you talked about in in your number um 5 like giving um their children power over them. Like the power struggles are what I deal with, um, all the time with well, one myself, of course I'm a parent, but also with in my office, a lot of parents are like, Oh my gosh, my kid is just running amok. And like, you know, it's kind of like <laughs> the, uh, inmates are ruling the assignment, uh, asylum type of thing. And it's coming from a place of not wanting to step in the authority. And I know I'm challenged by that. Um, what are, what are the main things that you find being the tools that a parent can start doing if they find that they're, they're, a lot of their time at home is dealing with like power struggles with their kiddos? Well,
1: you know, I think to recognize the difference between giving your child too much power and empowering your child. So
0: mm.
1: I work with a lot of parents who will say, you know, we I asked my child, what do you want to do on Saturday? And then the whole family does whatever he suggests. Well, that's well, that's okay to do once in a while as a treat. You don't want your child dictating the whole family's schedule every all the time. That's not good for kids. Or when kids get to pick what the what the whole family's going to eat for dinner every night, and the mom will say, well, he won't eat anything other than macaroni and cheese, so that's what we eat every day. And those types of things are, are giving kids too much power. Or when I work with parents who will let kids weigh in on major family decisions. Hmm. So if the family's thinking of moving across the country, they'll ask the kids, What do you think about that? And if the kid says no, the family doesn't move. And when I work with parents, a lot of it is about explaining to them, that's great that you value your child's opinion and that you're showing your child that you really value their opinion, but you don't want to allow your child's opinion to dictate what your family does because kids don't actually have the skills that they need to lead. Parents do. There's a reason we don't let kids vote. We, we don't let them make major life decisions. They don't have the knowledge and the wisdom. And when we give them too much power, it actually gives them more anxiety because then they think, well, mom or dad isn't a fearless leader who can make good decisions. And instead, they're they're really taking my opinion into account, which must mean they don't know what they're doing. Hmm. So I work with tons of kids with anxiety who come in and say, you know. It's no wonder that this kid is acting out because he's saying, you can't control me. Look, when I run up and kick you in the shins, you don't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so for parents to know that it's a healthy thing to take, take charge and to take that back, and that doesn't mean you need to uh, rule with an iron fist or that you need to say it's my way or the highway all the time. You can take your child's, you can show respect and say, yes, I value your opinion, but I also make healthy choices based on what I've learned as a grown up.
0: Right. And you, you make that distinction that, you know, kids aren't miniature adults, although we want them to be right. Right. And now they're, you know, they're just brain isn't really developed enough to make those kind of choices. And I think what you were saying is like when they are being one, not only involved, but like really in charge of those decisions, like it, it, it can feel like chaotic to them and in the chaos sense in that unsafe space they act out
1: right that's it exactly and um for Kids need rules and they need parents to say, this is the structure. This is how things are going to happen. And if you don't like it, sometimes that's okay. You're not going to like everything. But to look at really the long term when your child is an adult and has a boss someday, the boss probably isn't going to ask questions like, do you feel like coming in today? Oh, you don't want to come to work? That's okay. You don't have to. (laughs) So you really want to be teaching life skills. Sometimes you have to do things you don't want to do. And for parents to just really try to establish a clear hierarchy that says, we're in charge and we value your opinion, but overall, you have to earn your privileges and you have to ask for permission before you do certain things. And we may ask you for your opinion, but you don't get an equal vote on major family decisions or or adult conversations that you don't get to weigh in on them um, because you're a child
0: right and how do you how would you word that to a child i mean, I'm assuming they're old enough to like one be asked and chime in but then also you know not dismiss them as like well you're just like a kid and i know that's not what you're saying but to say okay like well we're gonna ask you because you're part of the family but when it comes down to it mom and dad are making the decision how do you still like empower them that they're part of things but also understand, as you said, like understanding the hierarchy?
1: You know, I think it's about sitting down and saying, you know, your mother and I are trying to make this decision and we want to make sure that we've looked at all the different options and angles and we really want to know, how do you feel about this? At the end of the conversation, you can say, great, thank you for sharing that with me. We'll take that into consideration when we decide what we're going to do. Mm. So for kids to know, okay, you care that I'm really angry that I would have to move schools or you're really... Value the fact that this is going to be upsetting to me, but on the other other side, you guys know what's best for us, and even if it's going to make me uncomfortable, I trust that it's still the best choice. And I think that's a really key message for kids to get.
0: Right, that they they have power, but as you said, limited power. You know, not all of it.
1: Right, because you don't want to raise a child who thinks you know that mom and dad are the king and queen and you have to do everything they say at all times but for kids to know uh, even over little things you can give them choices so it might be do you want to clean your bedroom now or do you want to clean your bedroom when your tv show is over but at least Mm -hmm. gives kids a little bit of a say over just small things or do you want to drink water or do you want to drink ice water for dinner and that gives kids an option they can speak up and say this is what i want but then on the other hand i you don't want to give them choices over big things. Should we move to a new house? Or I've worked with divorced mothers who will ask their child, do you think it's okay if I date? And those aren't decisions mm. that kids should be, should be weighing in on. They may be able to give you their opinion or express their fears, that kind of stuff, but it right. shouldn't be up to them.
0: Right. And too many choices. You know, As a, as a parent of a preschooler, I, I had to really rein that in instead of saying, like, what do you want to eat? meaning whatever's in the fridge, whatever's in the house to do you want to eat a turkey sandwich or do you want to have a cheese sandwich or whatever it might be. And that, and also mentally strong, like trying to come up with like, all right, what are the two choices that if whatever he chooses are going to be something that I want him to do? (laughs)
1: Yes. And I think that is key, knowing you can live with either choice and then letting your child make the choice over those little things that in the end don't really matter. But that really empowers kids to say, "Okay, I do have some decisions in life about what happens to me, where I go, what I eat. Um, And I think then when then they feel empowered, but they don't feel like and they know that mom or dad are still in control and that they don't have to keep getting into those power struggles as much. And granted, all kids and parents get into power struggles sometimes. And that's really an opportunity as a parent to say, I'm in charge and you aren't going to control what we do or how I feel or how I behave. If you get upset and are throwing a tantrum, it doesn't mean that I'm going to blow up at you. Instead, I'm going to try to stay calm. I'm going to take steps to remedy the situation Mm -hmm. and My job is to control my emotions and not necessarily control you. And as a kid, your job is to control yourself and not try to control other people.
0: Right. And I think that's something, I mean, as far as you said, it's just in over the whole reason of the book is like trying to have empowered kids become resilient adults. We want our kids to have like healthy self-esteem, like wanting to go out in the world to be contributors and be able to handle the stresses that come their way. As parents, I know that there's that tendency wanting to shelter them from everything. And it comes from a place of love because like, we don't want them to hurt or anything, but then thinking of the big picture, just as you said about like bosses going to ask whether or not you're want to come into, uh, into work or not. Like there's going to be things that happen and we want them to have the tools to be able to handle situations. Um, to be able to like take responsibility and deal with the consequences. You know, that was number seven, you know, letting your child avoid responsibility is something that a mentally parent shouldn't do. And that allows them to bounce back better. And I I'd like to talk with you about that, that bounce back factor.
1: Yeah, I think as a parent, it's natural and it's normal to say, I want to give my kid an easy childhood, right? (laughs) That we just want to spare them from pain. We want to make life easy. And you think, you know, you're over there playing with your blocks and your Legos. I don't want you to have to do chores because especially I can do it in five minutes when I try to get you to do it. It's going to take an hour. So -hmm. it's normal to say, you know, just be a kid, go have fun. But on the other hand, when we do that, kids grow up and they're not emotionally ready for lots of things in life, especially how do you deal with pain? How do you deal with setbacks? And what happens when you get rejected? And we're seeing the consequences of that now when um, kids get to college, 60% of them say, my all the adults in my life focused on academics, but they didn't focus on teaching me how to be emotionally ready for the challenges of life after high school. 60% of the kids say that they wish they would have been taught more emotional skills. So I think, mm. When you give kids responsibility, when you let them deal with some pain, it's those are all opportunities to to teach them. And the more that you do that, the better prepared they'll be for life after after they leave the nest.
0: Right. And I mean, there's so many, you know, stresses that happen in life and failures that we'll go through. And the failures can be opportunities to like grow beyond. But I think a criticism of the current generation of the kiddos coming up is that. They're not able to handle like rejection or even the potential of failing something, so they're not trying. And I think that's what you're speaking to in that kind of like emotional sense. They might know how to do the project, but they're if they're afraid of possibly failing, that's an emotional IQ or a, an emotional uh, skill and strength that they might not have. That I know I want for my kiddo okay, going into the world.
1: Yeah, I teach college classes. So I get to see it on on that end of the spectrum that I'll have a student, I had a student email me and say, well, I'm a bit of of a perfectionist. I know that my project is due by midnight. But I like to check it over a hundred times. And so it's not going to be due. It's I'm not going to have it done today. Mm. And she fully expected that I was going to say, great, no problem. You can pass it in whenever you want. And I said, no, it's due at midnight. You'll have to pass in whatever you have done. And she was really disturbed by that. She just had no idea. Okay. How do I do that? And if I'm not satisfied with it, can I really press the send button? And I had another kid who emailed me and said, you know, that test that you gave us was really hard. And I said, well, yes, it was supposed to be hard. (laughs) And the student was really upset that I would give a test knowing that it was going to be a challenge. Hmm. And so it's interesting to me now to see college students and see how they deal with challenges, how they deal with difficult things. And some of the struggles that they have, I think, go back to the things that they learned as a kid or the skills they didn't gain when they were younger to know that that's okay, and it's okay to do tough things and it's okay to try your best and if it's not perfect that that's okay too.
0: Right. So it, like going back to that um second question that uh, what that the kid was asking about like oh that test was really hard was were they almost implying like you shouldn't have done that and that yes. it should have been easier. <laughs> yes, hmm. and
1: that it was it was too tough and to be honest it was an open book test. <laughs> really? So the the answers were there and it wasn't timed. So if you wanted to spend all day looking up the answers you could do that. Hmm. Um but the student really just was very upset that I would give a test that was challenging and thought I should change the test um, because of that.
0: And I think that kind of goes along with the current generation being criticized as like entitled and they feel like, oh, you as in my professor are here to give me an A. How are you going to give me an A rather than working for it? I don't necessarily buy into all of that, but obviously those are two examples where they're kind of wanting you to like change things around for their performance.
1: Right. And I don't remember in college thinking that that was an option. It wouldn't have occurred to me. It was never an option
0: for me. No, no. (laughs) To
1: email my professor and say that test was really (laughs) too hard or that I would have said, I can't, I'm not going to pass that in because I need to double check my answers. So it's going to be late and you'll accept it. Wouldn't have occurred to me in a million years. So I just find it interesting that, and I'm not that old, I promise, but (laughs) that in the past, you know, 20 years that I think this next generation, that they just have a, a different mindset when it comes to that stuff.
0: Right. And, you know, as far as like upbringing and resiliency and the like is definitely part of it, not all of it. Um, But I remember on, it was actually James Altucher's um, show as well. He was interviewing Seth Godin and we were talking about education and um, the current state of things. And what he was saying was that he wants for kids to be, um, to solve interesting problems and to be leaders and those are things that are beyond academics. I mean, you have to have, a, have academics to solve problems, but there was that element of it was like emotional uh, resiliency that he wanted to teach kids younger, so that when they went into the world, they would solve interesting problems and lead people. And I, I definitely see a lack of that now. And as a parent and a, of a four-year-old, like I want to, I want to give him those things much more than knowing his ABCs and the like.
1: Yeah. And I think one of the things we're seeing that is causing a problem is, you know, we see a lot of helicopter parenting um, Mm. that evolved over the years. But when I was a kid, if somebody forgot their homework once in a while, it wasn't a big deal. Or if one of us forgot our soccer cleats for soccer practice, you just didn't get to play that day. But it wasn't the end of the world. But because everybody forgot their homework once in a while, or everybody forgot their soccer cleats sometimes. But now we're seeing parents it will you know drive 20 miles to drop off a forgotten homework assignment at school or parents are doing their kids homework for them and because of that like one missed homework assignment actually puts kid at, kids at a disadvantage and so sort of normal parenting shifted to this, okay, I have to cater to my child. I have to make sure that my child is doing well at all times. And that sort of a competition made it so that kids are less likely to fail. Parents are correcting their kids' homework before they go to school so that they always get a 100. Or parents Mm -hmm. are propping kids up and giving them tutors and lots of expensive SAT prep courses and stuff like that just to make sure that they always excel and that they succeed. So then once they get out of their parents' house, they're just not sure how to deal with rejection and failure and challenges that are really
0: tough right and having you know a parent to come and like fix things with the boss or if they're starting a business that I mean there's just so many challenges there that um, you need to be resilient for
1: right and I talk a little bit about it in the book but the number of HR people who are now seeing parents attend their kids job interviews with them
0: no <laughs> i didn't college, that part no way
1: college graduates who are their their parents are negotiating their adult children's salary or that if there's a disciplinary action in the office place hr people are hearing from from parents so which i find i yeah i find it fascinating that again like you would show up for a job interview with your mom or your dad at your side or the number of um, job applications that companies are getting. And then when they go to call the person who they thought applied, the adult child is then saying, oh, did I apply there? Because their mom or dad filled out the application or sent in their resume without mm. the child knowing.
0: Wow. Well, and that's another part I love about your book is that one, the stories is a you know a snapshot, like a case study, will of a certain situation. But then you bring it back, like to bigger picture, so that you can, um, as a parent, look at like, okay, well, my kid's not having that problem, but this is the larger issue that trickling down into teen years might be an issue, and if we are going into this um parenthood experience, wanting our kids to be strong and resilient and have the confidence to be able to go out in the world and handle things, to know that there's a safe space to come to as a parent, obviously we want that as well. But um to have the confidence to be able to that they can stand on their own two feet um is is thread all the way throughout your book. So I think that's really important. And talking about um, discipline I want to touch on that one number 11 is confusing discipline with punishment and that's something that I know all parents are challenged by of like being you know the the authoritative dictator um and my way or the highway or using discipline as a healthy way of um educating and teaching in, in that moment and I I would only imagine that all of the parents that you're dealing with are like are dealing with the same kind of things. But I think that also circles back to where we were at the beginning around if we were raised with kind of a my way or the highway, we might cycle the opposite way and lose out on the opportunity to teach our kids in those moments.
1: Right. I see a, a wide spectrum. I see the free range parents who say, you know, kids will be kids. Just let them go out there and, and fall down and that'll be great. But then they're not giving their kids enough guidance so that when their kid does make a mistake, they're not there teaching to say, how do we learn from this? And so they have kids that are always getting into trouble or kids who are uh, just not able to learn from their mistakes because they're not getting the support that they need. And then I see the other end of the spectrum where parents are say, I don't care how you feel. This is a rule. Follow it at all costs. And then they don't realize that they're not necessarily teaching their kids new skills. They're teaching their kids, say, to become a better liar. So the child just says, mm. Well, I just won't get caught
0: <laughs> right. rather
1: than not do that. Or I won't really learn how to do this better. I'm just gonna learn how to how to make sure that you don't notice that I'm doing this or whatever it is. But we're so sometimes the skills that we think we're teaching we're not really teaching. So it's important to be involved enough to know, okay, how do I when my child's upset, how do I teach him how to calm himself down so I'm not doing it for him? Or when my child gets in trouble at school, how do I problem solve and make it so that my child is in, involved and invested in not getting in trouble again? Um, and so this chapter about discipline and punishment, it's one I've gotten a lot of feedback on. I didn't expect it to to sort of catch on as much as it did, but this one I've gotten probably the most feedback on from parents who say, this is great, or I didn't realize I was doing these things, um, because they want to be, become more of a disciplinarian who's teaching their child self-discipline as opposed to just saying you messed up and now you must suffer for it
0: right and again going going through that experience as a kid I think what you um, talk about this a lot about like teaching them self-control rather than us controlling them is is such an important life skill Um, that discipline and in those moments allows them to experience
1: Yes. And it's hard to do. I mean, you're in the middle of the grocery store and your child's screaming. You just want your child to stop screaming. <laughs> um. and Or, you know, when your child's misbehaving in public, especially. And I think social media plays into this, too, where we just want to look like good parents or we want people to know that our kids are happy, generally. And that this little snapshot you might see of... This child throwing a fit doesn't represent the whole picture. And I think that just leads to parents sometimes saying, I'm going to bribe my kid. Here's a lollipop. Now be good while we're in the store. Or parents go to great lengths to do whatever they can to make it so that they feel like other people aren't judging them. Because I think we live in a world where parents do get judged and shaming is a real Problem these days.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's a perfect example as far as like the perfectionist parent or part of me, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, God forbid, like Nico should do something in public. I've gotten much better at that. And I remember before I was a parent, I was always empathetic to when I was, saw a parent or a kid like freaking out in the grocery store. But there was a part of me that, you know, did judge the parent. I wouldn't do it to them, uh, like, to their face. But I was like, oh, yeah, it's not that big a deal is what I was right. saying, right? As a parent now, I empathize in a totally different way because, yeah, there's no sense crying over spilled milk. But it might have been the 17th time the, <laughs> the milk was spilled that day. And, of course, you're like, your circuits are fried and, like, you might lose it, you know? So I do think... um more and more parents like as we've all been through that we can empathize differently but there is a thing of like well i'm the only one that's ever gone through this and it's just not true we're we're all in this together we're not alone
1: right and as a therapist i teach parenting classes And I'd be with a foster child in the grocery store, and and one of my clients would walk by me, and my foster child's throwing a fit, and the parent's just looking at me, smiling, like, (laughs) glad to know this happens to you, too. (laughs) (laughs) Right.
0: Well, you're a real person as well, dealing with uh, those common folk problems, Right. (laughs) That's
1: right. I don't have any magic wands either to make kids behave at all times and and to figure out, okay, how do I make this a learning experience for my child? And then what can I learn from it too as a parent? I think those are important questions to ask.
0: Yeah. Well, you might not have any magic wands, but you do have amazing tools, amazing resources in this book, Amy. So I would love for you to tell our listeners like how they can get it and, and learn more about your work.
1: On my website is the best place to go, which is Amy Morin L C S W in licensed clinical social worker dot com and we have um lots of information about both my books. There's articles and resources and um information about a mental strength course that I do and um you can find links to my social media accounts there as well.
0: Okay, great. And I'll make sure all those links are there for you so um the listeners can just click right onto it. Um, your TED Talk is amazing. I highly recommend looking at that. Obviously, the book, I'm a big, big fan of. I have highlights and underlines all over the place, dog-eared. <laughs> um, so <laughs> one, as a parent, but two, obviously, preparing to talk with you. So Amy, thank you so much for being here. And in our last moment, what what's the major take-home you'd like a parent listening to um, this today to take from what, we, what you shared?
1: I would say to view your role as a parent as a, a guide rather than a protector and to know that when you go through tough times and challenges that you can guide your child into turning it into a learning experience, but to let your child face those tough things in life head on sometimes. Mm,
0: that's beautiful. And what about for the little kiddo that might be listening? Like maybe mom's still pregnant and, oh, um, uh, uh, a great parent already by learning these things before baby's in here or maybe the um, kiddo is here what what little words of wisdom would you like to whisper into their ear
1: i would say that life is tough but that you're tougher and that your parents mm-hmm. are doing the best job that they can and that on the days when you don't believe in yourself your mom and dad will believe in you and teach you that you're stronger than you think
0: uh-huh. That's beautiful, too. Well, Amy, thank you again for being here. I, I want to thank you as a parent just for the work that you've done and putting it in this book. So it's helping me and my son and my family. So I thank you for that. But I also thank you for being here to share your message so it can reach out to lots lots more parents.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me.
0: it's Dr. Jay again, and I don't want to thank you so much for listening to the podcast. It's something I really enjoy doing, and I, as a parent, learn a ton from these experts coming on and sharing their wisdom, so I hope you're getting a lot out of it, too. And I want to share something else with you. I've created a guide called the 40 Ways to Connect with Your Baby During Pregnancy. It's full of simple things you can do on a day-to-day basis that will help strengthen that bond that you have with your baby. It's a free download. You can go to my website at drjwarren.com slash 40 ways and just enter your email. I'll send it right to you. You can download it and start working on it right away All of the research that I'm learning in the fields of epigenetics and attachment parenting is showing that the more bonded you are during your pregnancy with your baby, the better the birth is going to go and the better parenting is going to go because you have that strong foundation, a strong connection to build upon. So go again to my website. It's drjwarren.com slash 40 ways and get that free guide. And again, thanks for listening.